All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's what happens when you talk. How about stand with me? Thank you for being with us online. I was trying to make my way back over there to say hi, and I ran out of time. Did we have the countdown video on? Really? I, I missed it. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you for being with us online tonight. Sorry for the tardiness, but uh, we're going to go ahead and jump in. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, let's continue to pray for everything. <laughs> just, how many know somebody needs a, needs a miracle? We need revival. Uh, we, just, we just are needy people. You know, and if it was dependent upon us, we'd be in trouble. But I'm glad there's a rock that's higher than we are that we can run to. So let's just open up in prayer. Father, tonight we are so grateful to be able to come together and to study your word. Lord, I thank you that we just have that uh, ability to come together. Lord, you said we're two or three gathered in your name. You said I'll be there. And, Lord, tonight we know that you're here. Uh, Lord, I thank you that your presence is always, um, you're, Lord, you're, you're just an ever-present help in our times of difficulty. Lord, I thank you tonight that your name is a strong tower that we can run to and are safe. Lord, I pray for the hands that went up tonight that, Lord, just uh, indicate a need in our life today. I thank you, Lord, that you're big enough to, to cover each and every one. Lord, you, you're a healer, you're a deliverer, you're a provider. Uh, Lord, you're a counselor, you're a friend. Uh, Lord, you're a sustainer. Lord, I just pray that no matter what the situation is, that as we run to you, Lord, we find that grace and that mercy to help in our time of need. And we pray, uh, Lord, for the the ones still in Florida and North Carolina, Lord, that uh, have just been ravaged with the storms, Lord, and the responders that continue to work in those environments, Lord. We just pray that through all of that, bring a, mess, uh, a message out of all of that mess. And, Lord, we pray for uh, just a global situation, Lord, that through all the wars and rumors of wars, Lord, we just pray that you would just, Lord, intervene and that your name would be declared, Lord, that we would see, uh, again, uh, triumph out of tragedy, Father, I pray you'll be with all the ministries here on campus tonight. Be exalted and lifted high in each and every one of those. Be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it to you right now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, while you're turning there, a couple of announcements. Uh, don't forget, coming up on Sunday is our Fall Family Fun Day. Um, and this is a day that... Uh, you know, years for year, in years past, we always did a back-to-church Sunday, uh, and we just kind of replaced it, you know, due to the COVID, we kind of replaced it with a fall family fun day. Uh, so right after the 1045 service on Sunday, we have three food trucks that will be out, uh, out there by the pavilion. Uh, we have waffles, we have barbecue, and we have tacos, I believe. So uh, a, a good variety of food. Uh, out there uh, to be able to purchase. I think we've published uh, the menus online. Uh, you can see what's available. And then we also have games. We'll have uh, horseshoes, cornhole toss. Uh, kids will have bounce houses. There'll be other things going on. But this is a time for the koinonia, the fellowship. And I just want to encourage you to, uh, it's going to be great weather. Uh, I looked at it today. This, this is why you live in Texas. you got two weeks in the fall and two weeks in the spring, and you're good to go. And this is one of those two weeks. Uh, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to a great day to be able to fellowship together 
Again, it's after the 1045 service. Then also, coming up a week from tomorrow is our uh, next food distribution. So go ahead and make plans on your calendar for that as we prepare to continue serving our community. Um, and uh, anyway, let's. Uh, there's probably something else, and I'll just went right past it, but that's all right. We're going to jump right in. Um, we're going to carry on tonight with part two uh, of this uh, teaching I started last week, The Encounter, Four Women Who Met Jesus. Four Women Who Met Jesus. Last week we talked about Mary of Bethany, and tonight we'll be talking about the Syrophoenician woman. So Matthew chapter 15, beginning verse number 21, said, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. Isn't that interesting? He answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said to her, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, notice this, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs from which, which fall from the master's table. Then he answered, or Jesus answered and said to her, A woman, great is your faith, let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. How many of you have ever heard this story before? I, uh, uh, the secretary was doing the notes today, and she said, how do you say that, the Syrophoenician woman? <laughs> uh, and I said, Syrophoenician. Uh, it's, it's a great story. And, and so let me, start it by, let me start out by asking you this. Have you ever listened to somebody say something, and immediately when they spoke, you thought, did they, did they really just say that? You ever been in a situation where somebody said something and your ears perked up and you're like, really, I can't believe they just said that? Uh, you know, I guess that we live in a time when we really shouldn't be surprised at what anybody says these days. Uh, I mean, you know, the moment you're shocked and you think, man, nothing could be any, any more difficult or uncouth than that, and somebody tops it. So, you know, now we're not really surprised, but... You know, when you read through the life and ministry of Jesus, you know, it's always interesting to note that he, he said things that were very tough. Anybody remember? He said some things that were very tough. In fact, he one time taught a message that was so offensive that most people just got up and walked away. In fact, when they got up and walked away, he turned to his disciples and said, will you leave me also? He said some really tough things. You know, that's an image that a lot of people don't like to consider that Jesus was offensive, but, you know, we, you know, we want to see Jesus kind of oozing with love and compassion, and, and, and it would be accurate to see him that way because that's the way he was. But Jesus was also a no-nonsense kind of man. I mean, he spoke the truth, and often that truth stung. Remember the old saying that uh, the truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. And, and that was kind of the reality. I mean, think about some of the things that Jesus said that were quite shocking. Like in Luke chapter 14, he said this. He said, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Wow. If you come to me you, and you don't hate them, 
Now, we understand that he wasn't saying hate as opposed to love. He's simply saying that your love for me has to be greater than your love for the closest people in your life. But yet, to those listening, can you imagine how, how difficult it was to hear that? How about this one in Matthew chapter 5? He said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Again, that was hard to hear because they grew up with the mindset of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, where's the fun in that? You know, we, we, we don't want to do that. Uh, there are others. There are other things that Jesus said that, that were tough to hear. But how about this one in our text tonight in verse 26? He, he said, it's not right to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Did Jesus call this lady a dog? Well, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And so that's where we want to start. I mean, this may be one of the strangest things he ever said. And, and again, when we read that, it, it would be easy to take offense at that. But there was something behind what he said. I mean, re- remember, Jesus never minced words. And, and when the Bible records the words in the ministry of Christ, he, it, doesn't, it doesn't need fillers. There's always something to it. And so we want to do that tonight as we look at this lady who encountered Jesus. Now, in this story, Jesus has entered the Gentile region, okay? Uh, now, when Mark writes the story, this story is also in three other Gospels. When he writes this story in Mark chapter 7, he points out that Jesus is retiring into a house, Okay? So evidently, he's trying to get away. How many understand sometimes getting away is a good thing? So, so Jesus is trying to get away from the demands of ministry and, and, and probably some of the, the controversy with the Pharisees. Remember, they, they were always on his case. And so Mark points out that he's, he's retiring to this house, but it didn't work because Jesus was not just an ordinary Joe, okay? He was... Uh, It was noised abroad about this man, Jesus, who spoke words like nobody else would speak. He spoke as one who had authority. He would command sickness and disease to leave, and it would have to obey. He would would stop a funeral procession and raise up a dead child. He would go to a a tomb and and, and, and resurrect a man been dead for four. So there was something unusual, and so Jesus couldn't just arbitrarily sneak into a house. You know, the grapevine worked really well. Word had spread far and wide that Jesus had this supernatural ability to heal the sick and to raise the dead. And even in Gentile territory, Jesus was known. People had heard about him. And this woman, because she heard about him, decided she needed to come and see him. Now, in our description, we find out that she's a Canaanite woman. Well, a Canaanite woman obviously is the descendant uh, of the people of the, of the Canaanites of the Old Testament. You've got to understand, they were mortal enemies of the Jews, okay? That, that, that's a good context, they were mortal enemies of the Jewish people. And, and if you look at her approaching Jesus, she had lots of things against her. How many's ever faced an obstacle before? How many's ever overcome obstacles before? This lady had tremendous obstacles in what she was wanting to do. Number one, Jesus had gone to rest, not minister, okay? Number two, she was a pagan and not a Jew. Number three, she was a woman and not a man. And again, in that culture, that's significant. She was a woman and not a man. And those were huge obstacles in that culture. And again, although there's no reason to think that Jesus would help her, again, all the things she had to overcome, she came, you know why? Because he was her last hope. He was her last hope. She had a daughter 
that was demon-possessed, and there was nothing that she could do. And she'd heard about this man, Jesus, who commanded demonic spirits to leave, and they had to leave. So the story, again, of Matthew, as he tells it, begins this way. Jesus left that place, went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman came to the territory to him and began to shout, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter's tormented by a demon. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a situation with your children that caused you to become desperate? Think, think I know most of us here probably have children that are well out of the house, but can you remember a time when, when your children had issues going on that caused you to be very, very desperate? Uh, if so, then you understand this woman's, you can relate to this woman's desperate plea. I mean, if you have a sick child, how far would you go to help your son and your daughter or your daughter? If your child is sick, how, what would you do and how far would you go to try and, and help them? I mean, again, I think to ask that question really is to answer that question. It's not a matter of time. It's not a matter of distance. It's not a matter of money. If your child is sick, you're going to do everything within your ability to try to bring relief and help. When your child is sick, nothing matters except one thing. What is that? Getting them well. That's it. Nothing else matters. When your child is sick, you don't care about test results. You don't care about x-rays. You don't care about the percentages of how many recover from this particular thing. You don't care about new medicines. You don't care about research protocols or anything like that. The one thing that people want to know is, is my child going to be okay? That's all they want to know. Is my child going to be okay? Nothing else matters. Now, again, we don't know how this woman's daughter came to be demon-possessed. The Bible doesn't give us insight into that. Somehow, this little girl had been taken over by this demonic spirit, and it wasn't a matter of medicine. It wasn't like she could run to Walgreens or to the uh, CVS pharmacy and buy something that would alleviate that demonic uh, depression or oppression or possession. It, it wasn't a matter of medicine because the medicine wouldn't cast out the demon. This problem was supernatural, and it needed a supernatural answer, and only a miracle could do that. But she had heard about a man who had come to town, who could do the miracles. That's why the woman came to Jesus. Understand her desperation. She, is, she wants her daughter well, and she's willing to do anything she can to see to it that she's well. Now, again, we love miracle stories, right? I love hearing how God moves and how God operates, and, and we love hearing those happy endings. But, but when you read this story, this is a strange story. I mean, really, from, on the surface, just look, it's a strange story. I mean, Jesus, his response to this lady is very peculiar, and maybe even some, might, some people might say downright cruel or rude. I mean, did he not believe her story? Or did he not care about her daughter? Well, again, I think the most obvious answer to those questions is we've got to pay attention to how Jesus always varied his methods in dealing with people. You see, he didn't always have the same methodology. One time a blind man, uh, he spits in, a, in the dirt and makes a paste and th throws it on his I mean, he's always dealing differently with different people. I mean, think about it. He treated each person as an individual. He dealt with Nicodemus one way. He dealt with another. He dealt with the woman at the well in another way. He dealt with the deaf and mute person another way. He dealt a different way with Zacchaeus. 
I mean, again, Jesus, his, his methodology was he met people where they were and he found a way to communicate divine truth to them individually. See, that's a great thing about Christ is he finds us where we are. You know, we, ha- we don't have to be somewhere, you know, and it's not a cookie-cutter approach. He dealt individually, and I think this was a, an individually carved-out response to this lady because she was desperate. As we look at this story, there are a couple things that are very interesting, to say the least. Number one, notice the first thing, Jesus was silent. Now, don't you think about the ramifications of that. He was silent. So, so picture yourself as a parent with a child that, is, that has something going on with, with that child, something wrong, and you're trying to find help, and you come to the one that you know can help, and there is nothing. I mean, why was Jesus silent? And again, Matthew was very clear at this point. When the woman came to Jesus begging for help, he didn't say a word. In fact, that's what he said in verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. Again, in our, in our mindset, we think, <laughs> how rude. How rude. Listen, follow that for a minute. How terrifying. I, I, don't, I don't believe there's anything more terrifying than the silence of heaven. Have you ever been in a place where you have prayed and you have cried and you've called on the name of God and crickets? Nothing. That's, that's, a, that's a hard place. Listen, I, I think probably most of us have been in those positions from time to time. You know, we wait and we pray and we seek the Lord, and yet the heavens seem like they're brass. You know, when we experience this, we, uh, my, my caution would be we have to be very careful not to allow our feelings to uh, rule our heart, okay? When we get up in our fields, we become upset that heaven is silent. I know, I know I've struggled with that. I've struggled at times in, in, in just situations that have happened in life, and I'm like, God, where are you? You know, again, like Job, Job, I, I, know, I know you know where I'm at, but I don't understand why you don't answer. I don't understand why you don't jump in and intervene. I'm, uh, you know, and, and, and I'll be honest, you know, with some of the health issues this year that I've gone through, again, these are all new to me. I've actually prayed this prayer, this, what this lady said to Jesus, I've actually said, I'll take some crumbs from the floor. If I can just have you to intervene. Anybody ever felt that desperate? She comes to Jesus and says, hey, have mercy. My daughter, and and he doesn't say a word. He did not speak anything to this Canaanite woman. But I want you to know this. He heard everything she said. That's a great distinction. While she's talking to him, he does not say a word, but he hears everything that she said. Here's the thing. His His silence to her was meant to draw out her faith. I want you to think about that. His silence was meant to draw out her faith because in the end, she got what she wanted and her suffering daughter was healed. See, God's silence doesn't always mean God's refusal. Doesn't always mean his refusal. See, in in, in this case, Jesus wanted to bring, again, that's where we talk about the individuality. He deals with us where we are. In the end, Jesus wanted to bring out this woman's faith, not only for her benefit, but for the disciples who were watching. Remember, they were, they were kind of schizophrenic in faith, you know, from time to time. And Jesus wanted them to see great faith. 
So Jesus, his refusal to answer her was to draw out her faith so that she could benefit as well as those listening. Again, as far as the disciples were concerned, Matthew notes that they're standing by watching this Gentile woman, in their minds, harass them. She's a bother, you know, and, and this pagan woman kept coming and bothering, and they had a little, little use for her. Again, she's Canaanite. They're Jewish, mortal enemies throughout the Old Testament, and she's pestering them, and they're like, hey, get rid of her. Every time they told her to hush, though, I like this, she kept on crying. Again, what would you do for your child? You do anything you possibly can for that child. The more they brushed her off, the more determined she became. Maybe, maybe they had some pre- I would assume they had prejudice going on. Again, they were Jews. She was not. If this had been a Jewish woman, would it have been a different scenario? Probably. Probably. They would have at least had a little more sympathy for her plight because she was one of them. Again, we can turn this question around and ask it like this. Why doesn't God always answer our prayers the first time we pray them? Anybody ever asked that before? Why doesn't God answer our prayer the first time we pray? Well, think of it like this. If God answered us every single time, the very first time we pray, you know what we would do? Again, human nature being what it is, we would take God for granted. We would take God for granted as soon, uh, like he was nothing more than a celestial genie who granted our wishes. I mean, that's just how we are. We would take him for granted. And, and James five sixteen. remember what he said? He reminds us that the fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Fervent prayer. The word fervent has the idea of boiling. How many of you ever watched a pot of water boil? That's the idea, fervent prayer. It means to have your soul stirred up to the point that you can't think of anything else. This lady here was, had boiling faith. She, was, she knew that Jesus could do something, and she didn't care. She cried out. When they tried to hush her and shush her and tell her to leave, she cried out all the more because she knew she had a child that was in a desperate situation, and only Jesus could do something about it. She was boiling, fervent in her request to Jesus. You know, I mean, again, who understands this better than a mother of a sick child? She's not going to stop at anything, and she's not going to take no for an answer. So she's going to carry her daughter. Think about it. She would carry her daughter from doctor to doctor and and, and ask friends to pray. And I mean, think about what you would do today. Put it out on Facebook and say, join with me in prayer. Um, Beg God with tears to work a miracle from heaven. I heard a story, again, that would probably illustrate this. I heard a story about a father whose three-year-old son uh, was in a terrible accident that resulted in a, something to be something plunged into one of his eyes. And no one knew if the eye could be saved. They did the best that they could. In the long months that followed as they tried to save that child's eye, the father said that he would lay on the floor many, many times and he would cry out to God to take one of his eyes and give it to his son. And he said, God, make me blind in one of my eyes so that my son can be healed. Again, that's what we do with our children, we're willing to do anything to see that they're whole. See, every parent understands this. Nothing renders us more helpless than watching our children suffer. I remember when Audrey was little and had that infection that got up into her hip. Had they not caught it and did the surgery when they did, she would not be here today. And it just, it grieves me to think of that. You know, just a random 
infection getting caught in the joint of the hip and then spreading into the blood there at Cook's Hospital for seven or ten days, whatever it was, while they took care of that. I mean, just you're willing to do anything. God, I'll, you bargain. You, you might do that. You bargain, God, please. Don't don't let them suffer. Put it on me. Put it on me. You know, we beg and we plead and we bargain with God for our own children. What else would you do in those dreadful hours? We can't think of anything that would stop us from doing what we had to do. Mortgage the house, sell the cat, sell, sell the farm just so that we could take care of our child. So you know what Jesus is doing here? Again, the first thing is Jesus was silent. Why was he silent? You know what he was doing? He was putting this woman's faith on trial. That's what he's doing. And the trial is this. Will she turn away in despair or will she keep asking? With him not saying anything to her, will she continue saying, Lord, you're, you're it. You're, you're the solution. You're the answer. You're all that I need. Would she continue in that vein or would she turn around and walk away in despair? See, again, delay does not always mean denial. In this story, there was a hidden yes in that refusal to talk. But she had to show the faith that would get to it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, faith only grows how? When it is tested. We don't like that. Again, if with me being allergic to pain, any kind of pain, I don't I don't you don't want to be stretched, you don't want to be tested. But it's like any muscle in your body. If you don't exercise that muscle, it never develops. It, 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 it never becomes strong. You know, guys and gals go to the gym. They push weight. They lift weight. They do all of those things to build, and that muscle has to be torn down so it can build up. Again, it's kind of counterintuitive. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But, again, faith is the same way. If our faith is never tried, never tested, then it will never come forth as pure gold. This lady's faith is being put to the test to see if she will stand up under the pressure, again, the denial may be necessary. It may be necessary preparation to receive the answer later. Another observation is not only was Jesus silent, the second observation I have is this. Why did Jesus call her a dog? Why did he call her a dog? Now, now again, we're listening to it from, e from Western ears, okay? When I was in Israel, I, the tour guide said, you people read from a Western mindset. It was written in an Eastern mindset. And there is truth to that, obviously. But why did he call her a dog? Again, this might be the most shocking thing that, <coughs> that we read that Jesus said. Jesus called this Gentile woman a dog. Again, verse 26. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, the word translated dogs in the New King James, I actually read it, means little dog or, or little puppies. Okay? And that might make it a little easier to swallow, right? <laughs> But that's what it means. It sounds better. But ask yourself, would you rather be a child at a, at a table or a dog fighting for crumbs? Well, an obvious answer. But there's truth, truth statement, two truths to this statement, two things about this statement I want you to know. First of all is this. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. Okay, that's statement number one. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. He came 
okay? He came in fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises made to whom? To Israel. He was a Jewish Messiah. That's why Jesus said that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, verse 24. Paul, even writing to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 16, he talks about how the gospel was being to the Jew first, to the Jew first. I think we make a tremendous error when we try to dilute his mission as the Messiah to the Jew, to the to Israel. He came first for them, but here's the caveat. But he he did not come only for them. Okay? That's why Romans 1.16 includes the phrase, and also to the Greek. And also to the Greek, meaning all of the Gentiles. See, God always intended to include the Gentiles in his plan of salvation. But the Lord starts with the Jews, but he doesn't stop with the Jews. Okay, that's, that's statement one. Statement number two, Jesus wanted this woman to understand her true condition. He wanted her to recognize. One of the hindrances to salvation today is the fact that we have people today that don't believe they're capable of sin. They believe that they are a product of their environment, a product of their upbringing, which is counter to what the Bible says, that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, that we all sin and come short of the glory of God. And what an ego buster that is to recognize that we all fall short of the glory of God. But you can't be saved if you don't recognize that you're lost in need of a Savior. And this lady here needed to understand her true condition. Again, no one has a claim on the goodness of God. What that means is no one deserves heaven. No one deserves heaven. That's, that's been a major problem from the very beginning. We, you know, we, we, most people would like to think they're better than they really are. But we're not. You know, we like to compare ourselves with the fellow down the street who, whose sin seems to be worse than ours. But you know what? God doesn't grade, grade on the curve. When Jesus compares the Gentiles to dogs, what he's doing is he's asking this woman to admit her true condition. He's wanting her to recognize her true condition. We'll, we'll, uh, basically, here's what he says. Do you understand that you are completely outside the covenant of grace? He's a Jewish Messiah. Do you understand that you are completely outside the covenant of grace and that you have no claim on me whatsoever? Do you understand that? I can heal your daughter. Again, I'm, I'm making some inferences here. But I think he was trying to get the point across. I can heal your daughter and I'm willing to do it, but only if you acknowledge your true condition, that you don't deserve any of this, that it is only because of my mercy and my grace. You can get your miracle, but it is by grace and if it's not by grace, it won't happen at all. See, there's a picture of salvation in this story. There's a powerful picture. Again, what seems like an insult turns out to be a probing question. Do you recognize your lost state? It's another way of saying, do you admit that you're a sinner in desperate need of God's grace? If the answer is yes, then guess what? We can do business. We can do business. But if it's no, if, you know, if we hang on to our filthy rags of our self-righteousness, we can't be saved. We can't get to first base until we acknowledge our lost and helpless condition. Again, the, 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 the analogy is this, and, and I don't mean this as offensive as, as it's going to sound, but we're all dogs. I mean, that, that, that's the truth of this, 
of this story. We're, we're all dogs. We are, we're like puppies under the table begging for crumbs. And if we think we deserve grace, then we can't have it. But if we admit we don't deserve it, then we can have it in abundance. Isn't that the dichotomy there? It's where the sto- this is where the story becomes powerful. And I think why it needed to be included in our four women who met Jesus. This is where this story takes a turn. Remember, Jesus, number one, when she comes to beg for her daughter, he is silent, doesn't answer her a word. And then when he does answer, he calls her a dog. Again, testing her faith to see what she's made of. And then the story takes a dramatic turn. See, this woman, notice what she does not do. She doesn't dispute anything Jesus said. <laughs> That's... That's noteworthy. She doesn't argue with Jesus. She doesn't dispute anything. In fact, she agrees with him. Verse 27, yes, Lord. Doesn't, doesn't argue. I mean, she could have gotten angry, right? I mean, somebody come up to you and called you a dog. What would you do? Don't tell me because I'd probably do the same thing. <laughs> she, she, she could have gotten angry and said, don't talk to me like that. I mean, how many people today would get up in their stuff and like, don't you dare talk to me like, how dare you talk to me like that? She doesn't do that. She said, yes, Lord. Don't talk to me. She could have said, don't talk to me. I'm not a dog. I'm not a dog. Many would have responded that way, but she didn't. She agreed with Jesus. Listen, if we want to end in the right place, then we have to start in the right place. Agreeing with Jesus is always the place to start that's right. Now think about what this woman did. (laughs) She never gave up, okay? She never got angry. She never contradicted Jesus, never accused him of being unfair and cruel. She never took offense at being called a dog. Instead of disagreeing with his statement, she in effect says, you know what? You're right. I'm a dog. I have no claim on your grace, and you have no reason to, again, this 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 is my commentary. And you have no reason to listen to anything I say. But then she clenches her argument and says in verse 27, even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from their master's table. How could you say no to that? She's not angry. She's not pitching a fit and say, how dare you talk to me like that and all those things. She agrees, said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs Get the crumbs that fall on the floor. We all know how that works, right? If you have a dog in the house, that dog, where does it want to hang out? Around the, around the table. Because the dog understands that when people eat, they tend to be messy. They're going to miss their mouth. They're going to drop some things on the floor. And where's that dog going to be? Right there to lick it up. That dog wants that. Listen, after the after the and here's the thing: after the family eats, guess what? The dog gets the leftovers, right? The dogs may be dogs, but they get fed. That's her point. Yes, I'm a dog. Yes, I have no claims on you, and I don't have I don't have any I don't deserve you to even listen to me. But the dogs still eat. They may not sit at the table with the family. I'm a Gentile, I'm outside the family, I'm not Jewish, but even the dogs get what's on the floor, I'll take the crumbs. That's what she's asking for. She's asking for crumbs of grace that will be enough to heal her daughter. She accepts her position, she admits her needs, 
She agrees with Jesus, and she never gives up. And then that leads to probably one of the, one of the most remarkable statements in this story, verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. It's interesting. When Jesus said, great is, great is your faith, he uses a word in the Greek whose root word means mega. Mega. What Jesus was saying to this lady is, woman, you have mega faith. Only time in the scripture that he uses that word was to this lady that he had just called a dog because she had the nerve to say, you know what? Yes, I am. I'm all of that stuff. I, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve you to, have, to, to listen to me. But those dogs still get fed, and that's all I'm asking for. Wow. Wow, what a statement. Woman, you have mega faith. You know, I find it very interesting that, number one, she's outside of the Jewish nation, and yet Jesus said it to a Gentile. He commented on her mega faith, not a Jewish person. It was a Gentile, not a Jew. He said it to a woman, not a man. He said it to an outsider, not an insider. He said it to a, a pagan who believed, not a priest. Woman, you have great faith. What are the chances that a woman like this would have mega faith? She did. She did. That's why Jesus praised her. Her, her desperation drove her to Jesus. Not even being called a dog could keep her away. A preacher years ago said that we in Western culture have made, uh, he called it sloppy agape and greasy grace that we've made it so cavalier for a person to get saved. He said, I think what we ought to do is we ought to resurrect a fence with concertina wire on the top of it and dare somebody to crawl over to get saved. That might be a little bit extreme, but you understand what he's talking about. We've made it so casual and easy, and it is easy, but, but there's no transformation anymore. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence of salvation? Where's the evidence of change? Where's the great faith? This woman had great faith. Most people would have turned away and walked away after the dog comment, but she didn't. Most people would have given up in despair and anger, but she didn't. How many people have called out to heaven and Jesus being silent caused them to turn and walk away from the faith just because of his silence, not understanding that he's working things that they can't even understand. See, this lady understood what the Jewish people missed. And that was this. She needed the mercy that only he could provide. She needed the grace that only he could give. And she was willing to humble herself and come and to stand there and listen. She received what she had asked for from the Lord. You know, here's the thing. The focus of this story is on the woman and her faith, not on the daughter. Remember, what precipitated her going to Jesus was her demon-possessed daughter. That's, the focus was not the daughter. The focus was this lady and her great faith. You know, we're simply told, and it's interesting, I think, in, 20, in verse 28, that her daughter was healed when? From that hour. As far as we know, okay, Jesus never met her daughter. As far as we know. Never met her daughter, but she was healed nonetheless. Why? She was, he healed her based on her mother's mega faith. That's a great lesson for us as parents and grandparents. 
don't ever give up praying for your child. Don't, don't, don't ever give up praying for your children, your grandchildren. Your prayers are powerful and they are effective. When they're in hopeless situations, God can move in response to that mega faith. Tim Keller says about this passage, he said, this contains the essence of the gospel. He said, in this little parable, Jesus told there are children around the table and then there are the dogs. He said, we like to think that we're the children of privilege, but in truth, we're all dogs that deserve nothing. We're outsiders to the grace of God, cut off from the blessings of heaven. But Jesus died as an outsider that we might be insiders. He died like a dog, rejected, despised, abandoned, that we might be welcomed as children to the table of the Lord. You know, we used to sing a song years ago, Come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. Was that you may feast at Jesus' table any time? In 1548, Thomas Cranmer wrote a prayer based on this story in part, and it was called the Prayer of Humble Access, and it was meant to be prayed right before receiving communion. Here's the way the prayer begins. We do not presume to commune. Let me back up. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own goodness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table, but it is your nature always to have mercy, end quote. It is your nature always to have mercy. See, that's how we approach the Lord. We're not entitled to anything, not even the crumbs from the table, but it is in God's nature to always be merciful. The Canaanite woman got the main point right. She needed mercy. And she recognized Jesus as the source of that mercy. And when she came on those terms, I'm lost and undone and cannot help myself. When she came on those terms, she got what she was looking for. And only then. Isn't it wonderful that the one example of mega faith comes from a lady like this who was so far outside the realm of the house of Israel that they were mortal enemies and they wouldn't, didn't want anything to do with her. And yet Jesus said, woman, you got mega faith. You got some good faith. With everything against her, all the obstacles that she had to overcome, she comes again and again and again until she receives the desire of her heart. See, the lesson here is not just about the value of perseverance, even though that applies. It's also about coming to Jesus based on his grace alone. Everything that we have from the Lord is by his grace and his mercy. Not our merit. You know, we have people today that like to think that they're all that in a bag of chips. Not so. Not so. Everything that we have in life is by his grace and his mercy. So as I kind of bring this in for a landing tonight, let let me give you a couple things to note from this story. Number one is this. No one is beyond God's No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Even today, people who seem far away and helpless, they're not outside of his reach. I love Isaiah 59. says, the arm of the Lord is not short that he cannot reach you, and his ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. There was a song years ago. It was, I think, an 80s tune that talked about the long arm of the law. I like to think about the long arm of the Lord. You can't run too far without him being able to reach out and grab you. You can't get too far away. Number two, when we come to God, we have to come on his terms, not ours. 
Again, that's where the humility comes in. We've got a lot of people today that are arrogant and boastful and proud and think that God somehow owes them and deserve, and they deserve. You absolutely do not. If you come with that attitude, you'll find the doors, you'll find heaven brass. We have to come on his terms. As long as we deserve, think that we deserve anything, we'll be turned away because we deserve nothing. Doesn't that fly in the face of today, today's mindset? But that's, that's what the Bible teaches. Number three, Jesus invites us to come to him for mercy when we need it. He said, when you come, come how? Boldly. And what do we find when we come boldly to his throne? We find mercy and grace. What we can't do without. Number four, anyone can have mega faith. If we come to Jesus on his terms and never give up, never give up. You know, I think about people that have long-term illnesses and things of that nature that just never give up. To me, they have to have mega faith because it would be so much easier to throw the towel in and say, you know what, I'm done. But they persevere and they keep going. That's mega faith. When Charles Spurgeon came to this story, if you read any of his stuff, I mean, he, he obviously, this story resonated with him because he actually preached more than 10 sermons about this one particular story. At the end of one of those sermons, uh, he makes a point that we ought to imitate this lady's prayer, simple prayer in verse 25, Lord, help me. <laughs> Lord, help me. He said, because it truly is a gospel prayer. Lord, help me. Lord means we recognize who Jesus really is. Help means that we need what only Jesus can give. And me means we admit our helpless and hopeless condition. After giving several examples of people who needed this prayer, here's what he said, John, uh, Charles Spurgeon said, this prayer will do to live with, this prayer will do to die with. And he's right. Here's a prayer that will take us safely through this life and it will take us all the way home to heaven. Lord, <laughs> help me. Sometimes that's all we can pray. Help me. This Canaanite woman was a lady who came who had mega faith because she knew that he had what only what that he was the answer, the only answer to what was going on in her life. That's how we demonstrate our faith tonight. Our encounter with Jesus right, lets us know he is. You know, what's that song? He's all I need. Isn't there a song, He's All I Need? Jesus is all I need. She found that out. And when she grabbed hold of that truth, she said, I'm not going to be denied. And she kept going. She wouldn't be offended. She kept pressing. And he said, woman, great is your faith. May it be done to you just like you desire. Won't you stand with me tonight as we close? It's a beautiful story you don't hear a lot about because, again, when you start reading that from our Western, our Western ears, we hear Jesus talking to this woman and we... We initially think that, how rude could that be to call her a dog? I mean, somebody called me a dog, I'd be offended by that. I might poke him in the eyes. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> but she didn't get offended. Because in her Eastern way of hearing it, she heard the probing question. Do you know, do you recognize and admit who you really are? See, that's how we come to Jesus. We come to him broken. We come to him hopeless and helpless, no merit. And we throw ourselves on his mercy. 
And we say, I admit, yes, Lord, that's me. Yes, Lord, that's me. But even the dogs get fed. She wasn't offended. She wasn't bothered. She just said, okay, I'll acknowledge and I'll admit where I am. But now now I'm going to finish it and I'll take what you have for me. If you're watching online tonight as we close out, do you see yourself rightly before the Lord? Again, I think sometimes we, we, we have to be careful that we, as we move through life and we find some successes in this world, at least according to the world, that we, we have to be careful that we maintain our humility and, and, and our right standing before the Lord. Everything that we have in life, every blessing from the Lord is because of His grace and His mercy, not because we're somehow, and, and I say this, again, it sounds hard to say that. But it's not because we're special, it's because He's special. Because he's lavished upon us his great mercy and his love and his favor. But we receive it because we first recognize that without him, we're nothing. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? If you're online tonight, I want to ask this simple question. If you're here tonight, say, you know what, you know what, Pastor, I... Uh, I recognize tonight that, you know, I'm going through some things right now, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling a little bit like this Syrophoenician woman. I, I'm here in the silence of heaven, and I don't understand why there's no answer, but after listening to this lady's story, she just persisted. Even in the silence of heaven, she still persisted, and she kept calling out. And I guess that's, that's me, Pastor. I just, I, I just I want to have that perseverance to keep calling out to the Lord even when the heavens seem silent because I know, according to His Word, that He's working all things for my good and that He never stops working. And I may not see it. I may not understand it. But I want to recognize that the silence of heaven is not a, is not a denial. And I need to be faithful and persevere. If that's you tonight, say, Pastor, I'm going through some things and I just need to hang tough through these things. Just write them right back down. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you. I just want to hang tough through these challenging moments of my life. When the, when the heavens are brass and, and, and I don't hear a response, I want to maintain my faithfulness to the Lord. Father, tonight I love you so much and I thank you for this wonderful story. Lord, so many nuggets of truth. We probably could be here for a little bit longer, even unpacking more of what this lady accomplished. But, Lord, you marvel at her great faith, her mega faith, because she came to you recognizing that you were her only hope for her daughter. She acknowledged who she was. She acknowledged her, her low status. But she also recognized that you are a God who, whose nature is to show mercy. Father, I pray that we recognize that tonight, even when the heavens are silent. Lord, many hands went up tonight, and those that are online maybe are praying and seeking you for a situation that they're dealing with right now. Lord, it could be a health issue, a financial issue, a relational issue, a spiritual issue. Lord, they're praying, they're crying out to you and don't understand the silence, but Lord, I pray that in that silence, Lord, don't let their heart deceive them into convincing them that you're unconcerned. Lord, you are concerned. You are drawing out our faith. You command us throughout your word, have faith in God. So, Lord, I pray that in those moments of silence, let faith rise up. And that even if we 
Like the man prayed, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Even if my circumstances right now are not changing, help my belief in you. May we stay strong. Now, Father, I pray you'll go with us tonight. Give us a wonderful, restful night. Should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday as we continue on with our series on the 11th hour, Lord, in our fall family fun day. Lord, even now, ordain what you're going to do. Lord, I, I pray that we bring our friends with us. And, Lord, that you just open their hearts to receive your message. Lord, bring transformation to our hearts and our lives. I love and bless each one here in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. See